This edition of Monocle on Saturday was first broadcast on the 8th of April 2023 on Monocle Radio. I'm Georgina Godwin, broadcasting to you live from Midori House here in London. This is Monocle on Saturday. Coming up, we'll have a look through the front pages with the journalist and communications consultant Simon Brook. We'll take you inside the National Museum of Asian Art, a hub for Japanese culture in Washington, D.C. And... We learned, therefore, that Donald Trump might, in fact, also have lost the title of America's sorest loser. Monocle's contributing editor Andrew Muller looks back at the last seven days. That's all coming up here in the next 30 minutes. But first, here's the news. Forty-two Chinese fighter jets briefly crossed the sensitive median line of the Taiwan Strait today as China began drills around Taiwan in anger at President Tsai Ing-wen's meeting with the Speaker of the US House of Representatives. The three-day drills, announced the day after Tsai returned from the United States, had been widely expected after China condemned her Wednesday meeting with Speaker Kevin McCarthy in Los Angeles. Meanwhile, China's Xi Jinping has given French President Emmanuel Macron an unusually lavish welcome on a state visit, which some analysts see as a sign of Beijing's growing offensive to woo key allies within the European Union to counter the United States. In Israel, an Italian tourist was killed and five people were wounded in a car ramming in Tel Aviv on Friday that came hours after two Israeli sisters were killed in a shooting attack in the occupied West Bank. The attacks, after a night of cross-border strikes in Gaza and Lebanon, added to heightened Israeli-Palestinian tensions following Israeli police raids in Jerusalem's Al-Aqsa Mosque this week. And Ukraine's first deputy foreign minister is due to visit India on Monday and will seek humanitarian aid and equipment to repair energy infrastructure damaged during Russia's invasion, the Hindu newspaper reported today. India, which holds the presidency of the G20 bloc this year, has declined to blame its old ally Russia for its invasion of Ukraine and has sought a diplomatic solution whilst boosting its purchases of Russian oil. And that's your Monocle Radio News. Well, let's have a flick through some of the day's papers now with Simon Brook, the journalist and communications consultant. Good morning to you, Simon. Good morning. Uh, it's Easter. Uh, and well spotted. In... <laughs> <laughs> and in Christian tradition, that means lamb. It means Easter eggs. Uh, and it also means chocolate bunnies. And that's the most important thing, isn't it? Exactly. So, yes, a very interesting uh, and serious piece of analysis here in South Africa's Daily Maverick uh, opinion polling looking at how people eat an Easter bunny. So they managed to interview 28,000 people. (laughs) Goodness knows that many people were willing to confess their uh, Easter bunny eating habits. But um, apparently uh, 59% eat the ears first, but only 4% go for the feet. 
But as the paper points out, actually does make more sense to go for the feet because this is the thickest bit of chocolate. So that's where you get the most chocolate for your bite, sort of, doesn't it, I suppose? I suppose, but then the ears are probably the first bit to come out of the wrapping. They are the most prominent, aren't they? They're just begging to be eaten, perhaps. Um, And I'm also never sure, are you supposed to eat the chocolate on the Sunday or the Monday? I mean, normally you get them on the Thursday and they're gone by the Friday morning Well, that's the point, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) After the deprivations of Lent, I suppose the idea is I just can't stand it. I've got to eat some chocolate so I suppose that that's yeah if you can really exert some self-control then perhaps you could that wait that long but let's face it most of us can't can we no no and, and I wonder why bunnies there must be a whole I mean I'm eggs sure many something studies. to do with yeah something <laughs> eggs is something to do with renewal and birth and things but I also thought this piece was interesting because um, I remember as a kid we had those little jelly babies which looked like little babies and we loved biting the heads off which is really <laughs> gruesome isn't it and I wonder whether there is something about eating a sort of because when you first said to me about this story about eating Easter bunnies, I assumed it was tearing into a, a rabbit that had been freshly roasted or barbecued. <laughs> Ugh, yuck. But perhaps there is there is something tying into harking back to our animal pasts when we would have ripped into a real-life bunny or a real-life, not child, but a you know, piece of flesh or whatever. Yeah. And so we can sort of do it now safely with chocolate i don't know is yeah. that is that the psychology behind it perhaps perhaps of course this is a deeply symbolic time of year in many many religions uh, certainly in islam and in judaism where today is passover uh, and um but although apparently i'm told that a new study is just coming out that says exodus didn't happen uh, <laughs> right. Which means that, uh, you know, thousands of years of well, celebration. Well, it didn't literally happen, did it? Well, I'm sure religious leaders can find a way around it, can't yeah. they? Uh, but it is a, a very, very significant time of year in so many religions. Uh, and, of course, we've seen it all kicking off in Israel. A uh, very interesting piece here from the Jerusalem Post, an, an opinion piece on what Netanyahu is doing to Israel now. Yeah, it, it's yeah, exactly. So their columnist, uh, Pamela Pellard, has been in London. Uh, she says, I love London in the springtime. I love London in the fall. But on a recent trip there, I love nothing at all, she says. Uh, great West End plays didn't do it for me. David Hockney's glorious immersion exhibition brought me to tears. Calorific cream teas were none of the usual delight. And she said she spent so much time checking Ynet, which is a, a, an Israeli news site. And exactly this is because of the changes that uh, the, Benjamin Netanyahu is, is trying to bring about uh, reforms, he would call them, in Israel. And of course, as you say, you've got, meanwhile, uh, the violence that has erupted because, partly because Ramadan and Passover, it's one of those years when the two have coincided. But I just thought it was a an interesting sort of exploration of what it's like to be an expat or, or, you know, or even to go on holiday or work abroad when the people running your own country uh, look like villains or idiots uh, and you're feeling the need to sort of defend them or sort of enjoying being abroad, but at the same time your heart is breaking because of what might be happening in your home country. I mean, we in Britain, some of us had the similar experience with Boris Johnson and Liz Truss, and I know American friends, uh, you know, talking to other Americans as well, had something uh, similar with Donald Trump and even some of Joe Biden's missteps and things. But, yeah, it's a sort of lament, really, about um, how what it's like to go abroad when, as I say, so much 
seems to be going wrong in your home country. Absolutely. She says, as she writes, uh, Netanyahu and his wife, Sarah, uh, have 60 rooms at the Savoy. She says, I guess our taxes are paying for that, as well as the non-kosher food. Our hypocritical, heredi-placating prime minister is said to have wolfed down. Uh, and uh, it's, a, it's a real it's a stinging indictment it of, is. Of, of Netanyahu. Uh, and as we heard in our headlines, of course, a lot of violence going down in Israel right now. Yeah. Uh, the other... Uh, a big story that we've been reporting in our headlines is uh, Emmanuel Macron in uh, China with Xi Jinping. Now, the FT has a big piece on this. Yeah, exactly. The FT t- uh, headline, uh, Tea with Xi, and Macron gets personal touch. And I think what's interesting about this is uh, it... Uh, the the paper points out that Beijing is exploiting European disunity. Um, the fact that Ursula von der Leyen and uh, Emmanuel Macron went together uh, to try and show some uh, European unity in the face of China's aggression and to try and use that uni- unity, I suppose, as a sort of leverage tool to get China to, to be a little bit more uh, helpful to the West um, in terms of the conflict in Ukraine. Um, and it's interesting, yeah, Ursula von der Leyen has sort of taken a tougher approach, whereas Macron has been more emollient. They've been playing this kind of good cop, bad cop routine, if you like. Um, but as I say, the paper sort of makes the point, really, that any attempt by Macron der Leyen to demonstrate this un- European unity has failed. And they, they quote uh, a number of um, analysts and experts. Um, uh, John Delory, who's a China expert with Yonsei University in Seoul, who says that Xi's strategy is Macron is coming with his hands outstretched, so they're embracing him. Von der Leyen is articulating the harder European position, and they're trying to put her out into the margins. So um, a- another uh, analyst quoted in the Financial Times says, it looks like Macron misplaced, misplayed his hand so a lot of opportunity, a lot of potential here, but it does look as if um, she has actually won against the West in this particular case. Mm. Uh, and I know that that's a story we'll be looking at in some detail next week. Now, from late March to mid-April every year, Washington, D.C. turns itself into a magnet for something other than politics. Cherry blossoms, once donated by Tokyo's mayor, adorn the tidal basin and attract flocks of tourists from around the world. It's also a time to shine a light on Japanese art and culture more generally. Nicole Dowd is the head of public programmes at the National Museum of Asian Art, which is celebrating its own centennial this year, and it's a hub for all things Japanese culture in the US capital. My name is Nicole Dowd. I am the head of public programmes here at the National Museum of Asian Art in Washington, D.C. I started in this role in January of this year, three days before our Lunar New Year celebration, which was incredibly special. And I've lived in DC since 2005, and so I have been coming to the museum pretty regularly since then. And it's always just been a really special place for me as you know, an Asian American, being able to see a really incredible collection of, of Asian art and starting to see myself represented in the museum in a way that I don't always find myself, you know, seeing in in other institutions and other museums. And so getting to come and work on public programming here, especially during the centennial, is incredibly special. The museum was open to the public in May of 1923 on the National Mall, and it was the first museum of art dedicated to art on the National Mall. And it is also America's first museum that is dedicated to Asian art. 
We are taking this time to really celebrate the last 100 years of the museum with this incredible gift that Charles Langfrier gave to the nation through donating his, his collection and leading to the creation of this museum. But we're also really looking toward what the next century and what the next 100 years is going to be with this vision to transform this space and, and create a space where visitors can really see themselves represented in the museum and come together to celebrate, to learn about and interact with Asian art and Asian cultures and including that intersection of Asian art and culture with America. I think everyone who has lived or works in an arts and culture space in DC knows that March and April are going to be cherry blossom season, whether that is, you know, looking forward to the National Cherry Blossom Festival, running 10 miles amid the blossoms, and so it is really a special time. The festival in DC commemorates the 1912 gift of approximately 3,000 cherry trees from the mayor of Tokyo to the United States. So, you know, it, it is a really spectacular display and really celebrates the connection between our two cities. I think everyone was paying attention to the official cherry blossom watch, you know, coming down for peak bloom and to celebrate the cherry blossom festival citywide. But we had a huge visitorship that day. You know, over 10,000 people came to visit the museum to see the collections. And actually, right before peak bloom, we opened a really special exhibition called Io's Happy Rainbow Hell. And it is the first ever exhibition dedicated to the artist's work at a museum in the United States. Io was born in 1931 and he lived in New York and moved there in the 1950s. He then became a member of the avant-garde Fluxus movement. He is also a living artist and so it's really incredible that his work is represented here in the museum. As part of the Cherry Blossom Festival here at the museum, we welcomed the award-winning Yumi Kurosawa Trio, and she's an incredible koto player, which is a really iconic Japanese stringed instrument, and her compositions actually include you know, more traditionally Western instruments like the violin, but then also including percussion elements as well. So, you know, I, that is to me a really, really fantastic intersection of Japanese music and culture and performance with more traditionally Western, Western instruments. We have a collection of Japanese art in the museum. Actually, fun fact, Charles Lang Freer's first Asian art purchase was a painted Japanese fan. And so he was constantly inspired by the beauty of Japanese paintings and ceramics and of Buddhist paintings, metalwork and sculpture. And so in total, the collection of Japanese art in the Freer and the Sackler galleries comprise more than 15,000 objects spanning four millennia, including modern and contemporary works. So that I think is something that people don't always realize about the museum. And so a lot of our programming around cherry blossom season really highlights the Japanese works in the collection. In addition, we have a total of six current exhibitions on Japanese art in the museum, everything from Rinpa-era screens to Rinpa paintings and Buddhist calligraphy, so we encourage everyone to come and, and experience Japanese art. So May of 2023 marks the 
official 100th anniversary of the museum. And it also coincides with Asian Pacific American Heritage Month. And so it is just a perfect time for us to really celebrate our centennial year while also looking at the next 100 years. And so from May 1st, to May 14th, we will have programming every day in the museum, including cooking demos, lectures, panel discussions, special curator-led tours, performances, K-pop sensation Eric Nam and Indian-American singer-songwriter Ravina will be headlining a concert on May 13th that we are super, super excited about. And really, I think for us, they're representing a new generation of Asian and Asian-American performers and like a true representation of the next centennial for us. And that's Nicole Dowd there uh, talking to us from Washington, D.C. about the National Museum of Asian Art and their very exciting programme that they have planned. Now, of course, Washington, D.C., the centre of political power too, and politics is looking particularly ugly in the United States at the moment. Still with me in the studio is journalist and political consultant uh, Simon Brook. Simon, we know, of course, that, that Trump appeared in court this week. It was a huge, huge media circus. I also watched an interview with Stormy Daniels, oh, who is at right. the heart of the storm. <laughs> no, <laughs> completely unintended, I assure you. But um, she came across as such a kind of level-headed, really? clever, sassy, funny woman. Uh, I thought she was great. Too good for Donald Trump in many ways. Well, yeah. What say, was she thinking? Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. Well, I don't know. Ka-ching, perhaps. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I was interested to note uh, that uh, that apparently searches on Pornhub, which apparently I know nothing about, but is a pornographic ho- uh, internet site, you know, searches for Stor- Stormy Daniels have gone up uh, 32,000% since Tuesday when Donald Trump was arrested. So... Is she making money out of that? Well, somebody seems to, but yeah. It's certainly... Well, good on her. Yeah, yeah. Well, why not? Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, she yes. has so many wonderful quotes. But in fact, yes. <laughs> it turns out that the Stormy Daniel thing may not be the biggest uh, problem for Trump because uh, we're looking at the New York Times here and they're uh, examining the next legal threat, which they say is probably Georgia. Yeah, and this is perhaps the bigger one. Uh, exactly. This is Donald Trump's, that, that famous, infamous phone call. I need you to find me 11,700 votes. Um, so, yeah, according to The New York Times, the Fulton County District Attorney's investigation uh, looks like it could be there could be a decision point coming on this. And this will uh, pose fresh challenges for federal prosecutors considering charging him in connection with the other major incident here, the uh, attack on the Capitol on, on, on January the 6th, 2021. Um, so, uh, and the paper points out that the Atlanta decision uh, the, uh, substantially overlaps with the broader inquiry into uh, Mr. Trump's conduct by the special counsel, Jack Smith, in Washington. According to the New York Times, uh, Washington, sorry, Mr. Trump's critics believe that the concurrent investigations provide assurance that the former president will be held to account. I think, I mean, in fact, there's a great list of of cases, aren't there, associated with him. And I think, um, obviously, we saw the latest this week when he was arrested uh, over the story, Daniel's hush money, alleged hush money payment. That's that's, uh, the the question to be answered. Um, I think what's interesting about this is, yeah, in political terms, legally, morally, it might be right for the prosecutor in New York to to take this action against uh, Donald Trump. But politically, does it make sense uh, if you don't want to see Donald Trump um, go back and get back into the White House 
in 2024. Uh, was Is this good news or bad news that he's being... Uh, prosecute, indicted for this case. Um, so I think it was interesting that till recently, till a few weeks ago, months ago, certainly, Donald Trump seemed to be sort of yesterday's man, didn't he? You know, the, the candidates that he had endorsed for the midterms in 20, uh, last year, didn't uh, 2022, didn't do particularly well. Um, and, uh, you know, it did look like that Ron DeSantis was going to sort of pip him to the post and become uh, the presidential nominee. But since this is happening, we've seen uh, since this uh, these legal this latest legal case, we've seen opinion polls for Donald Trump surging. Tens of millions of dollars have been pouring into his campaign coffers. And it's interesting that even Ron DeSantis has been forced to uh, express some support for Donald Trump. So. Legally, it might be the right thing, but but uh, certainly in political terms, this could be really good news for Donald mm. Trump. There's a, a slightly related story in, in the Moscow Times. The uh, Russian arms dealer, Victor Boot, who was freed from a US jail last year, uh, it was a prisoner swap they did with Russia, um, said to Donald Trump that he must seek refuge in Russia because his life was in peril. Now, Boot, who's also known as the Merchant of Death, uh, oh, was horrendous. swapped for that US basketball star, uh, Brittany Grimes. Yeah. Um, and he says the Biden administration will not stop just by dragging you through the court or prison industrial complex. They would sooner end your life than let you stand in their way. I think that might be overstating it. <laughs> Slightly. But unfortunately, well, it, you know, it is a message that many Trump supporters, especially the more vigorous Trump, avid Trump supporters, you might say, would, would want to hear this. Um, you know, this is part of this whole narrative, isn't it, that uh, the establishment, the deep state, whatever, is out to get our man. So first of all, they, they fixed the election results. Then they tried to, the, the corrupt political courts and legal system tried to get him. And I suppose, yeah, this is perhaps the next stage, uh, you know, that the, the, the state will take him out, perhaps in the way that Putin takes out. At his, uh, uh, Which his clearly informs were... Boots' thinking. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, exactly. If it happens yeah. there, will it happen in the US? I mean, another high-profile litigant we've seen uh, in court recently was, of course, Gwyneth Paltrow, who, as well as being an Oscar-winning actress, runs the wellness brand Goop. Uh, and there is a fantastic story coming out of Australia, the Sydney Morning Herald. Uh, online wellness claims are often utter bunk. Here's how to spot a fake. Yeah, I like this story because normally in the sun, sort of Saturday, Sunday papers, there will be more of these sort of wellness claims, things you should do, um, you know, uh, and as this paper, this sorry, this piece points out, uh, should you buy a $14,900 biocharger or the odd vaginal egg? I'm not sure why it's odd. Oh, I see odd vaginal egg. Anyway, <laughs> is this the kind of follow a certain diet or whatever? And this is actually a British uh, doctor, um, Idris Mughal, who has a master's degree in nutritional research. Uh, but he is, uh, he is trying to educate people on what to look out for, which of these um, uh, which of these ideas might add up, might have some, league, uh, some sort of medical uh, scientific backing behind them, but also uh, which are just nonsense. And actually, given that so much of this stuff comes out of TikTok, it's interesting to know that he's known as Dr. Ids to his 1.6 million TikTok followers. 
um, and 176,000 Instagram followers. So uh, it's interesting that so much of this stuff, as I say, comes out in social media and he seems to be balancing it on social media itself, providing some uh, useful and sort of informative scientific insights. Mm, Absolutely. Simon, I think it's hilarious that we started this programme with Easter eggs and we're ending with vaginal eggs. I would suggest that you don't... (laughs) Full circle. (laughs) You don't confuse the two. (laughs) I'll try not to. Simon Brooke, many thanks for joining me on Monocle on Saturday. Monocle's springy April issue includes our retail survey. Here we rate the retailers, CEOs and shops improving the cities they call home. We tour a New York bookshop that's starting a new chapter and meet the CEO reviving Helsinki's best department store. Elsewhere we visit a Spanish enclave bordering Morocco, head to the runway for the final Boeing 747 delivery in Washington and hit the dance floor in Barcelona. You'll also find plenty of fashion tips in our annual style survey, plus plenty of travel and hospitality picks to put a spring in your step this season. Order your copy of Monocle's April issue today or subscribe to get instant access online. Now let's recap what we learned in the last seven days. Here's Monocle's Andrew Muller. We learned this week something of the depth, temperature and the nature of the... Soup. Soup. ...in which former US President Donald Trump finds himself. We learned that the New York Beak will hear 34 charges alleging that Trump cooked his books in order to occlude a hush money payment to the actor Stormy Daniels, star of Busty Beauties 2, Trailer Trash Nurses 6, Finally Legal 7, and several further broadly similar productions. Yes, all right, grow up. We learned that Trump had absorbed this development with the equable self-deprecation, which has become his trademark. Our country is going to hell. I never thought it could happen. The only crime that I have committed is to fearlessly defend our nation from those who seek to destroy it. But we swiftly learned, however, that Trump has little to fear from this prosecution, and we learned this from the least partial and best qualified of sources that Fox News could find. I don't think that they will hold up in a court of law. I think all law experts agree that there was no law broken here. That is, uh... Lara Trump, daughter-in-law of the defendant and holder of a degree in pastry arts from New York's French Culinary Institute. And who can argue with credentials such as those? Yeah. But we learned that Trump could actually do worse by way of legal counsel and indeed arguably is. And we learned this when his actual attorney in this case, Joe Tacopina, was asked about a social media posting in which Trump had depicted himself swinging a baseball bat at the head of Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg. That picture was not him swinging a baseball bat. I mean, if you want to distort the facts, go right ahead. I want to address that. Yes, it is. He wasn't swinging a baseball bat at anyone's head. That was a picture of him showing off an American-made bat. So we learned that sinister incitement to violence against an elected official and pure-hearted promotion of locally made produce is very much one of those tomato-tomato propositions. I break in the rocks in the hot sun. 
We learned, however, and inevitably, that none of the above has proved sufficient to deter the Trump grift. We learned from one of our regular check-ins at the official Trump merchandise store, it's only 260 or so days until Christmas, that Trump is already flogging at 36 bucks a pop, t-shirts declaring him not guilty beneath a mugshot. As we had already learned that Trump was not going to be formally photographed during his arraignment, we can safely conclude that the picture on the garment in question is fake, unlike the charges. Moving along with both reluctance at abandoning this bountiful seam of material and the reassurance endowed by the knowledge that there will be plenty more where it came from, we learned that Trump's famously philosophical attitude to defeat has attracted adherents, notably conservative Wisconsinian judge Justice Daniel Kelly, who lost an election to the Badger State Supreme Court to his liberal opponent, Janet Protasiewicz, and decided to pass on the option of conceding gracefully. I wish that in a circumstance like this, I would be able to concede to a worthy opponent. But I do not have a worthy opponent to which I can concede. There was more. This was the most deeply deceitful, dishonorable, despicable campaign I have ever seen run for the courts. It was truly beneath contempt. But beyond that, broadly fine. We learned, therefore, that Donald Trump might, in fact, also have lost the title of America's sorest loser. We learned, however, that Wisconsin, and there's no real reason why we're picking on Wisconsin, it just sort of came up this week and it makes a change from Florida, we learned that Wisconsin is having a normal one on a couple of fronts. We learned that this song, Rainbowland, by Dolly Parton and Miley Cyrus, has been verbotened by the administrators of Haya Elementary School in Waukesha. Not because it sucks, which it does. <laughs> Come on, I know it's Dolly Parton, but she can do some wrong. Please yourselves. We learned that Haya Elementary's first graders were forbidden from singing Rainbow Land because the lyrics are... Controversial. We learned when we looked it up that they're just not. What they actually are is a suggestion so guileless as to verge on the actually inane that we'd maybe all be a bit happier if we judged others a little less. Something to that effect. But we learned that we simply cannot have children exposed to sentiments such as these. Who knows where it might end? Righto, enough of that before it corrupts any passing youth. But we learned that whatever else might reasonably said of Wisconsin this week, at least they haven't started eating bear meat. Actually, now that we say that out loud, we should check. 
Yeah, should have seen that coming. We learned, anyway, that Japan has added to its legendarily bizarre array of vending machines a contraption at the railway station of Semboku in Akita Prefecture, which dispenses bear meat at 2,200 yen per serving. We, for one whimsical monologue, were shocked into a protracted silence, which, to be honest, won't work brilliantly for radio purposes, so we'll go quiet just long enough to justify a punchline about... Big pause. Boo. For Monocle Radio, I'm Andrew Muller. Many thanks to Andrew. And that's it for Monocle on Saturday, which will return at the same time next weekend. I'm Georgina Godwin. Much more from me throughout the day. But for now, and from the rest of the Monocle on Saturday team, goodbye and thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.